ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಸರ್ವಲೋಕಾಮ್ಯಹಂ ಅನಪರೋಕ್ಷ ಅನುಭೂತಿ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಯಿಂಗ್ ಒನ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ತರ್ಟಿ ಫಿಫ್ತ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಒನ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ತರ್ಟಿ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ಅಥಶುಧಂಭವೇದ್ವಸ್ತುಧಂಭವೇದ್ವಸ್ತು ದ್ರಷ್ಟವ್ಯಮೃಘಟೇನ ದ್ರಷ್ಟವ್ಯಮೃಘಟೇನ ದೃಷ್ಟಾಂತೇನ ಪುನಃ ಪುನಃ ದೃಷ್ಟಾಂತೇನ ಪುನಃ ಪುನಃ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಒನ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ದೆನ್ ದ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ರಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ಸ್ಪೀಚ್ ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ರಿಮೇನ್ಸ್ you should understand this again and again with the help of the example of the pot so we're back to the pot again what is the example of the pot if you recall we last time we used it to understand the 135th verse he used this uh, example to teach the core concept of what's going on in this text the the basic uh, uh, methodology of this text is explained so first of all let's understand the the example of the pot and then we will apply it to uh, vedanta what is the example of the pot you start with the pot in four stages start with the pot just imagine you or your friend you have a pot and i saw on uh, um, on amsterdam there's a sh- shop um, not um, on broadway pottery barn mm-hmm. yeah so the, lots of pots yeah so you can use them for uh, for studying vedanta <laughs> now you t- take this um pot stage 1 stage 2 introduce the idea of clay that yes here is the pot that's correct come 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 say here is the pot but let me introduce a new idea to you that this pot is an effect and clay is the cause what kind of cause and effect material cause and its product material cause means the the, the substance out of which something is made that which is made is an effect and the substance which goes to make it that's the cause so the cause is clay and what is made is a pot so far fairly non controversial no problem so you agree yes i understand this is a pot but its material cause is clay and it's an effect pot is an effect clay is the cause this is stage 2 stage 3 when you examine the pot carefully you find that the clay is right there the substance out of which something is made is right there in that thing the thing which is made in that you will find the substance which out of which it is made obviously if it's wooden furniture in the furniture you will find wood if it's a wave in the ocean you will find water if it's a gold ornament you will find gold in the ornament itself in the pot you will find what clay, clay. where all of it when you see that the top it's clay when you see the bottom it's clay inside and outside it's clay whatever you touch is clay when you weigh it it's clay so it's clay through and through you notice that now you come to an interesting conclusion if it is clay through and through where is the pot you see that's the pot but is it just the clay where is the thing called a pot you started in stage 1 with a thing called a pot you have two words now look at it this way linguistically you have two words clay and pot clay refers to you know what the everything in that pot is clay right so the word clay has a referent has an object which is everything in that pot 
That is clay. Then the word pot refers to what? We, we always, we normally do not think, unless you are a Vedanta student, you not, normally do not think the word refers to name and form. Using the word refers to the thing itself. Here's a man, a woman, a, a plant, an animal, a building. We think it refers to the, the thing itself. So when you say pot, we think it's a thing. A pot is a thing. But when you look at it from the point of view of the material cause, you don't find anything, entity, called pot. The simple um, thought experiment is, if you think that the pot is a thing, then give me the clay, show me the pot. If I take all the clay away from the, from the pot, all of the clay, give it to me. Uh, where is your pot now? The reverse doesn't work. The reverse doesn't work. If you take the pot, the clay comes along with it. The pot depends on the clay for its existence. The clay doesn't depend on the pot for its existence. In pottery barn, before it becomes a pot, it must be a lump of clay. The potter has a lump of clay, which he shapes into a pot. But the pot entirely depends on the clay. The clay doesn't depend on the pot for its existence. The clay is independent of the pot for its existence, but the pot is entirely dependent on the clay for its existence. Now, this idea of independent existence and dependent existence, if that is clear, clay has independent existence in this example. And the pot has dependent example, uh, existence in this example. In Vedanta, two technical terms are used for this. That which has independent existence is called satyam, real. That which has dependent existence, which cannot exist without the material cause. That is, it's called mithya. Mithya means false, but you can, as you can see, false only in a very specific philosophical technical sense. Uh, so, pot, real, no, clay, real, pot, false. The clay is the reality of which the pot is an appearance, name and form. So that is the third stage. You don't find any entity called pot. You find it's clay through and through. But remember, the, the clay was called the cause and the pot was called the effect. So come to the fourth stage. If the effect is not there, there is no real thing called a pot, then is the clay really a cause? What is it a cause of? It didn't produce anything. If it did produce something, you could call it a cause. It's not really a cause. So in the verse number 135, we had used this example to see that first, in the effect, see the cause. In the pot, see the clay. Then notice that the pot does not exist without the clay. The effect does not exist without the cause. So dismiss the effect. There is no such thing as an effect. Negate the effect. Dismiss it. Push it away from your mind. There is no such thing. When the effect is dismissed, the cause also loses its causality. Then what happens? He says, Atashuddham bhavet vastu. Then the, the pure isness remains. In the clay and pot example, what will remain? Clay alone remains, you will say. Though the fun is, the magic is, you're still holding the same pot. It doesn't change one bit. You don't have to smash the pot to come to clay. It is just a change in paradigm. It's a change in thinking. It's a change in drishti. In Sanskrit, it's a beautiful word, drishti, point of view. Your whole viewpoint changes. Now you regard it as clay and clay alone, as substance. But you can still see the pot. You can hold the pot. You can even use the word pot. But you know it refers to a name, a form and a use. Okay, this is the example of the pot. He says you should think about this example again and again. Punaf puna. Mridghata drishtanta, clay pot example, use it again and again to understand what? Understand this universe and Brahman. You are, we studied all of it, this what we studied till now, you are existence, consciousness, bliss, you are this presence, this being, this isness. And this entire universe of your experience is nothing but name and form. And is a manifestation of yourself. You are the cause. Brahman is the cause. Existence is the cause. 
and the universe is the effect. Just like you find, like clay is the cause and the pot is the effect. Now where will you find the clay? In the pot? Oh, you've forgotten it already. In the pot, obviously. If Brahman, existence is the cause, where will you find, find the existence? In the universe, in all things that exist. Now in all things that exist, if you analyze carefully, you will find existence is central, like the clay. Without existence, what happens to a thing? A thing is, book is, that is stands for existence. If I take away the is, what will happen to it? Book is not, non-existent. Isness, we never think of it that way. We think isness is an abstract co concept. Immediately the question will be, clay and pot I understand, but isness, existence, isn't it a philosophical concept? Isn't it an abstract concept? It's like saying, you know what it's like saying? I understand pot and clay, but um, pot uh, is an effect and clay is the cause. Pot, uh, clay is real, pot is false. But uh, isn't clay an abstract thing? Is clay an abstract thing? Or is pot the abstraction? Think about it. It's like saying, wave is real. Water is something abstract. Not at all. It's the other way around. Water is real. Wave is a particular manifestation of that water. It's like saying, my necklace is real. This gold you are speaking about, it's some kind of abstract concept. Not at all. Your necklace, your precious necklace, every bit of it is that gold. In fact, there is no necklace you can discover if you look at it as gold. Similarly, if you take that point of view of isness, being, presence, and meditate intensely upon it, you will see that isness alone is. Everything else appears in it. Isness is the cause, material cause, and the entire universe is the effect. When you investigate the entire universe, you will find isness alone everywhere. Whatever you find, you'll say, no, it has got a form. Let me ask you the question. Is, does, is the, does the form exist or not? You'll say, yes, it does exist. Then form is. Isness is right there. If you take away the isness from the form, what happens? Form is not. Everywhere in the universe, whether it is human beings or plants or animals or buildings or stars or protons or quarks, you must say is. Exists. And that existence, that isness, is not an abstraction. It is what you feel right now. You feel being, isness. That is the reality. And the entire universe is imagined in that being, in that isness. It's an appearance in that being. Now when you look at it that way, then what happens is, isness or Brahman as the cause and universe as the effect, everywhere in the universe it is pervaded through and through by Brahman, just like a pot is pervaded through and through by clay. Then a pot is not a real entity, the clay is the real entity. Brahman is the real entity, the universe itself is not a real entity. That is what is meant by Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya. Brahman alone is real, the world is an appearance. If the world is an appearance, and Brahman is the reality, remember which is cause and which is effect, Brahman is cause and the world is an effect. If the effect is an appearance, it's not real, then is the cause really a cause? No. Brahman is not really a cause of the universe. Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss, is not really a cause of the universe because it did not really produce an universe. A universe appears there. We say because of maya, because of name and form. If Brahman is really not a cause, the causality of Brahman is lost, then Brahman alone exists beyond cause and effect. In Sanskrit it is said beyond cause and effect, karya karana vilakshana vastu. Beyond cause and effect. Vilakshana means separate. Other than, other than cause and effect, one pure existence alone remains. That is what is meant here. Atha shuddham bhavet vastu. The pure existence alone remains. Yadvai vachama gocharam. 
which is beyond expression. You can't use language. Language can be used as long as you are talking about cause and effect. So you can use the word clay for clay. Clay is an object as an, in the example. But for pure existence, we are, we are just using the word pure existence. But what does it point to really? These are just words. Brahman, when we talk about the ultimate reality, we use many words. But if you investigate carefully, you will see those words are used only with respect to something in this universe. For example, when I say Brahman, the ultimate reality is eternal. Brahman is eternal. You are accepting time. With respect to time, Brahman is eternal. If you don't say that, what will happen is, then you will think, oh, Brahman is non-eternal then. Because we swing between these two alternates, eternal and non-eternal. Brahman is neither eternal nor non-eternal. How is that possible? Because we think only in terms of time. So in terms of time, Brahman is eternal, no doubt. But Brahman actually transcends time. Time is an, appears in Brahman. Brahman is not in time. How does time appear in Brahman? Because Maya, time is a constituent of Maya. Space is a constituent of Maya. Causation is a constituent of Maya. Swami Brahm, uh, Vivekananda in his talk, the absolute and the manifestation, he, he says, Maya is time-space causation. So Brahman is not a, a cause which produces an, a, a universe. Rather, Brahman is the reality in which causation plays its games. Brahman gives existence to causation also. Brahman lends existence to time and space also. With respect to time, we say Brahman is eternal. Really speaking, Brahman is not within the categories of eternal, non-eternal. With respect to space, we say Brahman is all-pervading. When you say all-pervading, Brahman is omnipresent. We are accepting space. Brahman is neither limited nor all-pervading. It's only with respect to space we think we have to think that Brahman is all-pervading. We think, we say Brahman, everything is God, you know. Brahman is everything. But that Brahman is everything is also accepting there are things. Accepting in terms of space, time and object. I'm translating from the Sanskrit. Desha Kala Vastu. In terms of space, time and object. We say Brahman is all-pervading. Brahman is eternal. Brahman is everything. Look at what's involved in the language, thing. But time, space and things are all imagined in Brahman. It's not that they exist and the Brahman pervades them. It's not like there's a room and you uh, light incense and the incense pervades the room. Not like that. A room exists which is pervaded by incense. No. Or there is a room and you switch on the light and the light pervades the room. No. It's not like that. It's more like clay and pot. The pot doesn't exist. It's not that there is a pot and clay comes and pervades it. Not at all. The very existence of the pot depends on the clay. It is something in the clay. You see, our normal way of speaking would be there is clay in the pot. But that's not logical actually. If you look at it philosophically, it's the other way around. It's more true. If at all you're going to speak about a pot, the pot is in the clay. If at all you're going to speak about a wave, the wave is in the water. It's not that water is in the wave. We say that wave has a lot of water. But rather the wave is in the water. The water was before the wave, when the wave is there, after the wave also water will be there. So Brahman is the reality in which are imagined space, time and object. Deshakala um, Vastu. Uh, I'll come to your question. That um, poem, I mentioned it earlier. Um, what was the name who wrote that poem to Swami Vivekananda? Um, an American lady? I forget her name. Um, she wrote this poem saying that you have taught all is God. Yeah. Mary Hale. Mary Hale. She's a young girl. But she was very interested in Vedanta. And she wrote to Vivekananda, you have taught that all is God. And Vivekananda wrote back saying that I have never taught such strange things that all is God. <laughs> and she protested. She said, you have exactly said those words that all is God. So why are you taking it back now? He said, 
what I meant was not that all is God. All is not. God only is. All is not. Parts do not exist. You see the clay is in all parts. Parts do not exist in themselves. Clay only exists. In the same way, Brahman, isness only is there. You had a question? The question is, is ignorance the cause of the universe? Correct. In fact, the basic idea in Vedanta is ignorance based on Brahman. Ignorance about what? Ignorance based on Brahman. Ignorance, ignorance is, is, a constitu- is Maya basically. The not knowing Brahman as Brahman, ignorance, Maya, presents Brahman as the universe. So in that sense, ignorance is the cause. But remember, ignorance by itself cannot do anything. Brahman is the basis for all projections. It's like rope and snake. The rope is mistaken by ignorance to be a snake. So if you ask, what is the cause of the snake? First of all, there's no snake. But anyway, there is an appearance. You make a mistake and see a snake by mistake. But what is the cause of that snake which you see by mistake? You'll have to say two things. You'll have to say rope plus ignorance of the rope. Just a rope by itself will not make you see a snake. But the rope plus not knowing it's a rope leads you to make a mistake that it's a snake. So rope plus ignorance of rope is the cause of the snake. In the same way, Brahman plus Maya is the cause of this universe. In fact, in technical terms, in Vedanta you will say, Brahma is the vivartta upadana karana and Maya is the parinami upadana karana. What does that mean? It simply means, Brahman is the thing which appears as the universe and Maya is that which is transformed into the universe. Maya transforms itself into the universe and Brahman only appears as the universe. Brahman does not transform itself into anything. So it's Maya which, I'll come to you, hold on to the question. It is Maya which makes Brahman appear as the universe. Maya by itself cannot do anything. And Brahman by itself will not appear as the universe. The conjunction of the two is necessary. This is presented throughout Hinduism as Shiva and Shakti. Shakti by herself does not do anything. On the basis of Shiva, Shiva also does not do anything. It's completely lazy. Lying down. You see the Kali image? taking a nap, but Shakti standing on Shiva projects Shiva alone as the universe. Shakti transforms herself into this universe. Um, that's why, you know, there's a common saying in India, Isab Maya hai. All this is Maya. All this is Maya means Maya is transformed into all these names and forms. In Vedanta, they do this very same idea of Shakti and uh, Shiva, of Brahman, and the ignorance of Brahman, Brahman is represented as existence, consciousness, bliss is Brahman, name and form are Maya. So all names and forms that you see, it's Maya. See so what differentiates things from each other? People, you from others, living things from non-living things, all entities from each other, name and form. Space, time, causation, location in space, location in time, Cause and effect, name and form, use, vivahara, transaction, these are what differentiates, which keeps the game of the universe on. But the reality through and through, every bit of it is Brahman. You had a question there? Yeah, Yeah. I wanted to um, follow up on a discussion we had in the last class. Yes. um, About uh, these uh, Brahman not being inert. Hmm. There was a question about personal God and how uh, it was kind of hypothesized that Brahman is not like a personal God. Yes. You said that you are assuming that uh, Brahman is inert, which is not the case. Hmm. But uh, you also said in one of the previous lectures that even the thoughts that we have are are part of uh, you know the Maya. Hmm. Uh, so like you have sukshma sharira and you have you know uh, the physical body. So in absence of a mind, because when mind becomes uh, 
part of Maya, hmm. then what remains in the Brahman to make it not inert? Ah. Let me go straight to the heart of the question. What is that in your mind which makes it not inert? What is that in your mind right now which makes it sentient? By the way, I can't resist this joke. Totally irrelevant, but it's going on in my mind because you're using the word inert. I had... This is something... In, when we were kids, there used to be this uh, television serial in India called Yes Minister, the BBC serial. So... Uh, you know, there was a minister and there was these bureaucrats and, uh, and they didn't know much about anything. So they are discussing an industrial project and uh, the entrepreneur, the industrialist is saying, we will produce this gas. Is it harmful to people? No, no, it does not react with anything. It's an inert gas. So we are going to produce that. And the minister asks the uh, bureaucrat, what, is, what do you mean by... Inert gas. What is inert? Um, and the bureaucrat with a great, you know, grave face says, inert is, you know, it's not earth. That's <laughs> inert. And then he helpfully says, wouldn't earth a fly? <laughs> Silly, but anyway. But let's come back to the subject. Let's come back to the subject. What is it? that makes your mind, you see the mind is not inert, the mind is sentient, is aware. What is it that is sentient in the mind? Consciousness. Uh -huh. Is it a part of the mind? It is the mind itself. Is consciousness the mind itself? Well, I mean, like you gave the example of pot and clay, uh -huh. they're one and the same. Yes. But is the, uh, is the pot always, uh, is the clay always pot? No. It can be a lump of clay, it can be a pot, it can be a broken pot, pot sherds. Now, do it this way. Look, that the core insight is this. When you look into the mind, your experiences, just now if you look into the mind, you will find there is a changing component and there is an unchanging component. What is experience? Just look into your minds right now. Thoughts. Feelings, just the words I'm using, they're coming to your mind and you're understanding them. It's a process, the machine is churning away. Thoughts, ideas, memories, feelings, all perceptions like rivers being poured into the ocean. Sights, eyes are pulling in and they're dumping the images in your mind. Sounds are coming in through the ears, taste through the tongue, touch, uh, feelings through the, through the skin, fragrance through the nose. All sensations, perceptions, the inputs are coming into the mind. Memories are being dredged up from sub subconscious storage. All of this is going on in the mind and completely, continuously changing. But one thing is unchanging, that you are aware of all of this. They are all lit up. Whether you think about it or not, they are continuously being experienced. It's like a light which is, say, a street light out there. Many vehicles and people are passing under the light. The light is constant. So call that light consciousness and all the things which are passing in the light, call it the mind. Consciousness and mind, according to Vedanta, are not the same thing. All the contents of your mind, the vrittis, the movements, that's called the mind. And Consciousness is that which is aware of all those contents. So the mind is changing, ever-changing, but consciousness is separate from the mind. It illumines the mind. One more distinction, one distinction is this. Mind is ever-changing, consciousness not changing. Consciousness is aware of the mind. Mind is something that you are aware of. Another thing, mind is visible to you. Consciousness is not visible to you. Consciousness is that which, which sees the visible. We'll come to it now. Consciousness can be called Adrishya Drashta, the unseen seer. The mind is seen by it. So consciousness is always present, shining on the mind. The mind and consciousness are literally not the same in that sense. So first of all, you must distinguish the consciousness from the mind. 
That consciousness is Brahman. See, the way we are approaching it now, cause and effect, you come to Brahman as isness. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, con- consider this, I'll put it this way. They, when they teach Vedanta in the Uttarakhand and all, they just throw out these insights. Let me throw out one to you. When you do Karya Karana Viveka, cause effect analysis, which we are doing now, you end up with pure existence, Sat. One. When you do Drigdrishya Viveka, the analysis of seer and seen, you end up with Chit, consciousness. When you do Bhokta Bhogya Viveka, enjoyer and enjoyed analysis, you end up with Ananda. But all three are pointing to the same thing. I'll come, come to you. Karya Karana Viveka leads to Sat. Drigdrishya Viveka leads to Chit. Bhokta Bhogya Viveka leads to Ananda. But all of them are the same thing. Sat Chid Ananda. Yes. Yeah, so, um, but I mean, my question was specific to the idea of a personal God. Yes. Who is involved in your life. Yes. Uh, and you said, I remember from, from the last class, you said there's law of karma, which is in a way doing you know, what a personal God would do, rewarding you for your you know, good deeds and punishing you for your bad deeds. But besides that, uh, the way we think about personal God is He's personally involved in our lives. He, she, he it, she whatever. He's personally mm-hmm. involved in our lives, taking care of us and yes. listening to our prayers. Yes. Uh, and th- when listening to our prayers, you know, when you associate a sentence like that, that, that is something which a mind does, like listen to people hmm. and respond, right? Yes. And, and my question really was that when we define mind as a sukshma sharira, or yes. you know, part of maya, yes. then you were taking away that listening, responding, and those attributes of a personal God. No, no, no. Yeah. Alright, the answer is like this. Yeah. Follow this. Vedanta speaks about multiple levels of reality. They are called Paramarthika, the Absolute. Vyavaharika, the relative, relative, transactional, empirical, Vyavaharika. Pratibhasika, illusory or appearance. And there's even another one, Tuchcha. But the, of interest to us are these first two. Um, Paramarthika, the absolute, and Vyavaharika, the relative. What is the absolute? Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss. What is the relative level of reality? This. Here is the Vedanta society. Here you are, there's a person with a body and a mind and individuality. Here I am with a body and a mind and individuality. It is that same Brahman alone which appears in all these forms. In our example, it would be clay and pot. The pot also has a reality of its own. It's not as real as the clay, but in terms of use, Pottery barn will not do much if it just sells you lumps of clay. If the pottery barn, they are Vedantists, if they say that, look, you imagine the pot, we just give you the clay. That will not work. They have to make up, their business is in clay. Transaction is at the level of, their business is in pots. Transaction is at the level of the pots, not at the level of the clay. So there is a transactional reality, otherwise pottery barn wouldn't exist. They wouldn't be able to afford the rent on Broadway. So. The transactional reality is where you are a person, there are other persons, you inhabit a world, and there Vedanta accepts God also. Religion belongs to this transactional world. Science belongs to this transactional world. Art, literature, all of our human culture, everything, our entire samsara belongs to that world, including Vedanta. Vedanta also belongs to this transactional world. Brahman does not need Vedanta, nor does it need to come to Vedanta class. We need it. And at that level, God is accepted. See, at one time, when Shankara taught this, there was a reaction. The other Hindus, they said, these fellows, when they talk about Vedanta, when they listen to such things, they will say, are you denying God? Same example, same question. Do these people believe in Shiva or Durga or Kali, like good Hindus? Do they believe in going to a temple? Do they believe in puja, um, worship, ritualistic worship? Do they believe in the law of karma? Because only Brahman is real, everything is Maya. Uh, do they believe in um, um, you know, all the ceremonies associated with Hindus? Are they Hindus at all? 
these non-dualists. And one group of uh, uh, dualistic Hindu schools actually charged Shankaracharya as Prachanna Baudhaha, crypto-Buddhist, hidden Buddhists. All your Advaita non-dualism is simply their Buddhistic ideas grafted on Vedanta, on, on our Upanishads. Upanishads belong to us, Hindus, but they are grafted on Hindu. They are not Hindu ideas. You don't believe in God, you don't believe in temples, you don't believe in karma, don't believe in going to pilgrimages, don't believe in anything good and holy in the world. What kind of Hindus are you? And the answer was from Shankaracharya was, Baba, listen. Every bit of what you say is accepted. We believe in God. Who, who other than Shankaracharya has composed such beautiful hymns? Hymns on Shiva, on the Divine Mother. Saundarya Lahiri, Lahiri is a, a, what a beautiful hymn on the Divine Mother. Then um, hymns on Vishnu, on Krishna, on the Ganga. Ganga Stotram, beautiful. He established, re-established so many temples, instituted worship, ritualistic worship in so many temples. Pilgrimages, rituals, puja, temple, God, prayer, God responding to prayer, a loving God with to whom you can have bhakti, to whom you can take your problems, all of that is accepted. The law of karma, all of that is accepted. Oh good! But, read the fine print. The fine print is, it is accepted at the transactional level of reality. We are talking about something beyond that also. There is something beyond that or underneath that as the ground of that reality. The ground of that reality, the ground of you and God, the ground of the world and from the tiniest atom to the largest galaxy, is one existence consciousness bliss and you are really that. This is an intuition that people in different religions have had. had. They, have, they, have they have had it. Meister Eckhart, a Christian uh, mystic, he says, the ground of God and the ground of my soul are one and the same. Exactly Advaitic insight. They didn't have the philosophical apparatus, the structure, the logical process. They didn't see it as a separate spiritual path. But the intuition, that realization people came to, different religions, sincere seekers will come to this realization. The glory of this is, it sets it out in full detail and everybody, you can go in baby steps and all of you us can achieve this reality, this realization. And this is mainstream. In other religions it was often persecuted. People who said these things were um, persecuted, maybe sometimes even murdered. And it's sacrilegious, sounds sacrilegious, I am God. <laughs> so this is the answer. So God is accepted. God is accepted. Look at the language of your question. If I pray to God, will he listen? Is this accepted in Vedanta? Who prays to God? The individual being, the jiva prays to God, not Brahman. So at the level of jiva, certainly, if you consider yourself to be a jiva inhabiting the world, and let us be honest, that's our worldview, then you have to accept God. Because that same Brahman appears as God to you. Yeah. I've already asked two questions, but uh, my question is more, I mean, what I'm trying to seek here is that if I am on this path, hmm. and if I if I already initiated through my upbringing into the marga of bhakti, you know, which yes. really came to me, yes. uh, so as I move <coughs> and, and, and discover Vedanta, do I have to leave bhakti behind as, as attainment? You know, like, maybe now it is acceptable, as you said, hmm. uh, to Vedanta, but as my next goal, hmm. am I supposed to leave bhakti behind, and then... You know, like, go on to the next step. Is that how I look at oh, it? Oh, okay, that's a good that's question. question. That, that is my question, actually. Uh, that's a good question. No, the answer is no. Even if your goal is to realize, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. So, should I look at Bhakti as a base camp and this Advaitic realization as the tip of top of Mount Everest, the peak? No. There are, in fact, among Advaitins also, there are two ways of getting this realization. One way is the way we read here. Analyze, whether it is cause-effect analysis or drigdrishya analysis, here and scene analysis, whatever it is. Understand and deepen that understanding through the multiple practices which are given here. 
the 15 practices of Nididhyasana, and you will come to the clarity, which is what is being talked about here. But many Advaitins, including many of us, we are Advaitins, but our approach is somewhat indirect. We will continue to do these things. Our approach is we also repeat the mantra, we do the worship, we have full devotion to Saguna Brahman, Brahman in the form of God. By the grace of God, we will attain this realization. Again and again in Gita, clearly Bhagavan says that those who are devoted unto me, I give them buddhi yoga. That means the, the yoga of knowledge that you will realize your identity with Brahman through devotion. But that path takes you through God to beyond that, uh, beyond, to the absolute. And that's usually a much more balanced path, easier in many ways. One great non-dualist Swami in the Himalayas, he put it this way. What's the difference between the Jnani and the Bhakta? So crossing, the language is Bhavasagar Par, crossing the ocean of transmigration. He says the Jnani swims across and the Bhakta, the devotee, goes on a boat whose helmsman is God. Another time, one Swami said, if you are a Jnani, you have to swim across the ocean of <laughs> existence. And if you are a bhakta, God will take you in his or her lap and sit on the boat and take you across. That sounds much better. All right. But right now we are on this path. <laughs> Let's go on. So, drashtavya mridghatenaiva drishtantena punaf puna. Use this example of the pot again and again. Why? Because we tend to get confused. So it's worthwhile repeating it again and again. Thinking about it. Getting this clarity and settling down in this clarity. It won't do to understand it once. It must become real. Next, 137. <speaking in foreign language> Udeti Shuddha Chittanam Vritti Jnanam Tatafparam Vritti Jnanam Tatafparam In this way. <coughs> Which way? In this way of analyzing it as cause and effect, coming to the pure object which is beyond causality. And again and again seeing that I am that. Again and again dwelling upon it. How will you dwell upon it? Shankaracharya has given us 15 techniques earlier, refer back. 15 techniques, dwelling upon that again and again, assimilating this truth. You know it, but it must become a living reality. Otherwise what happens is, we continue to think and behave like bodies, like in limited individuals, not like awareness. So, we are not body-mind with consciousness, rather we are consciousness Functioning through a body-mind or appearing as a body-mind, playing a role as a body-mind. But we are consciousness. We are Brahman. Dwelling upon this, what will happen? Vritti Brahmatmika Bhavet. You will get that flash of enlightening knowledge. It will become steady. What is that flash of enlightening knowledge? What's it like? Aham Brahmasmiti Jnanam. I am Brahman. Now you might find, I mean, we begin with a, with a stage where we find it difficult. How do you spell Brahman? We don't even know that. And here we culminate with the realization that I am Brahman. That I am this isness, this pure awareness, this pure bliss. I am that. In me appears a universe or a body and mind. All of these I experience within me. But this will happen to whom? Udeti Shuddha Chittanam. It will happen. The condition is purified mind. And there's the catch, fine print. What do you mean by purified mind? Remember, Vedanta with this book began with the fourfold qualifications. Always keep that in mind. Those are essential for any kind of Vedanta. We all have it to some extent. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here on a um, Friday evening. <laughs> but we have it to some extent, but they have to be, um, they have to be uh, increased. To take it to the level of excellence. What are the four qualities required for a Vedanta student? Viveka, the discrimination between the real and the unreal. So we, we are, all the time, what we are doing here is that term viveka, separation. Separation not physically. 
How do you separate clay and pot? That clay pot separation is an understanding. That's Viveka. I just spoke about three kinds of Viveka. Karya Karana Viveka, cause and effect Viveka. Drigdrishya Viveka, seer and seen Viveka. Bhokta Bhogya Viveka. I've not had time to speak about that. We need to have a separate talk. The enjoyer and enjoyed the discrimination between that. So this is the first thing, real and unreal, it, eternal and non-eternal, nitya, nitya, vastu, viveka. What is eternal, what is not eternal, a sense of that. That must be there. Second, vairagya, dispassion. Dispassion for what? Dispassion for the non-eternal, not for Brahman. Dispassion for Brahman. Dispassion for the world, the appearance. In our example, dispassion for the pot. Not for the clay. So dispassion for the appearance. So you have to give up so much. Actually not. If you give up the pot and retain the clay, have you really given up anything? You still get the pot also. You say, I'm giving up the pot. I just keep the clay. The pot's still there. So you get everything. You don't lose anything at all. So vairagya is dispassion. Dispassion for the world. For worldly pursuits. Your main pursuit now becomes spirituality. Then, third, six qualifications, six-fold discipline, six-fold qualification. Shama, calmness of mind. Dhamma, control of the sense organs, motor organs and sense organs. Then, um, uparati, withdrawal from worldly uh, enjoyment, sensuous enjoyment, withdrawal from that. Reduce that. Then, samadhana, settling down in your Vedantic pursuit, in your pursuit of spirituality. Then, Titiksha, a spiritual fortitude. The world will throw problems at you. Relationship problems, financial problems, physical health problems, anxiety and uneasiness in the mind. All kinds of problems will come. Gross level, subtle level, all kinds of problems will come. But I persist in my spiritual quest. How much trouble people take for earning money? How much trouble people take for getting a degree in, in a university. How much trouble people take um, to raise a family? So much effort. Don't you need titiksha, fortitude for that? You put up with so much trouble, so much suffering for these. So even a fraction of that, you don't even have to do that. Even a part of that, if you do for spirituality, you will attain God-realization. That's mm, true. Titiksha. And then, Shraddha. Until you realize an abiding faith that all of these things I'm reading and hearing and the teachers are telling us these are true. A working hypothesis. I don't get it yet. I have not realized it yet. But I have a kind of conviction these are true. Let me try to realize. Sixfold treasure. Then the last one, fourth one is mumukshuttu, an intense desire to be free of bondage, of suffering. This is, if we have that, that is called shuddha chitta purified mind. It's not an yes or no thing. It's not an on-off thing. It's a spectrum. We all have it, as I said. To some extent we have it. We have a sense, spiritual life is real. That is called Viveka. We have a sense, this is valuable. The world is not so valuable. That's why you made the choice to come here. That is Vairagya. This is the beginning of Vairagya. The six-fold treasures we have, we have enough calmness of mind to sit down here and listen to a talk about a 5,000-year-old philosophy. How many people would want to do that? Then we have enough control not to fidget or look at our mobile phones. Damaha, control. I remember once we were sitting um, uh, with, our, with, with the Swami with, under whom we joined, I and other monks in Deoghar about 25 years ago and we would have classes in the morning before our day's work the Swami would teach us Vedanta so we would sit on the floor and there's one of us was sitting like this and doing this you know? and the Swami suddenly said what's that? stop! <laughs> restlessness yeah. it's okay if a kid does it but after some time, you, even the kid learns to control the body and sit still. Dhamma. Just because you have legs, do you have to walk around all the time? 
Just because you have hands, you have to grab everything. Just because you have a tongue, do you have to eat everything that you get? No. I remember walking with the novices in the company of that Swami who, who was our first mentor, under whom we became monks. We used to, every day in the night around this time, after dinner we would go, we'd walk with him, and each of us has to recite a verse of the Gita, and then tell the meaning. And then, he, wonderful, I will never forget in my life, those first few years, you know, the beginning of monastic life, all the lessons that are imprinted. So one day, uh, we are walking and we are about to see the Swami off in his quarters. He was the head of the ashram. And there was a creeper, this was night, and there were flowers there. As I passed that, I smelt the flower. And immediately, Swami was standing there, surrounded by so many others, other young monks. He turned, whipped around to me and said, what's that? Stop it! That is not the sign of a yogi. Just because you get it, he said, just because you get it, you have to have bhoga. This, this thing he instilled, I'll never forget it. In my life. So, this is called damaha. Uh, then, and all the other qualities are necessary for pursuing spirituality. Anyway, I can go on. But this is called shuddha chitta. If this is not there, Swami Prabhavananda suggests a very interesting experiment. He says, let us make up our mind, we shall look at the picture of Ramakrishna or Krishna or any divine person and sit quietly and think about it. You make up your mind, you decide to do it. For the next five minutes I shall think about it, ten minutes I shall think, imagine the presence of that divinity in my heart. Within seconds, not even minutes, other thoughts intrude. This other thoughts intruding even when I had decided I will keep my mind on this and other thoughts are coming in, even if I don't want it, this is the sign of impurity of the mind. It has become so natural to us, we think that this is natural, there is no other condition possible. But no, there is a condition possible. With increasing purity of mind, the mind can be kept at one point, on one object of concentration. So purity of mind, Shuddha Chittana. One of the, a beautiful hymn to Swami Vivekananda, which we often chant, it starts with this. Anitya drishyeshu vivichya nityam tasmin samadhatta ihasma leelaya viveka vairagya vishuddha chittam yosau viveki tamaham namami I salute that Viveki, Vivekananda. I salute that Viveki, the one who does Viveka. What kind of Viveka? Anitya Drishyeshu Vivichya Nityam. In, all, in this panorama, this, this spectacle of changing, this universe of changing entities, who pierces through this and arrives at the unchanging Brahman. In this experience, you are having it, Vivekananda is also having it. Vivekananda sees through it and goes straight to Brahman. We get stuck on the surface. Who anitya drishyeshu vivichya nityam. Who goes to the eternal in the midst of the non-eternal. And then what does he do? He, the mind gets absorbed in that eternal Brahman. Tasmin samadhatta. Mind gets absorbed in samadhi on that eternal Brahman. How? With a lot of effort, lot of ashtanga yoga. Leelaya in play. Just like playing, for him samadhi is absolutely easy. Why is it easy for him and not for us? Viveka vairagya vishuddha chittam. Because his mind is purified by viveka and vairagya, by the fourfold qualifications. See, that's all Vedanta is there in that one first verse. Such a vivekananda I bow down to. Yoso viveki, such a vivekananda. The one who does viveka like this. Tamaham namami, I salute that vivekananda. What a beautiful verse. And literally true. These are not just theories. You, such a person walked on the streets of New York and lived here, meditated, talked, taught, joked, cooked. Here, just about over a hundred years ago. Here, right here in this place, in this city. And he says, Vritti jnanam tatav param. And that 
Aham Brahmasmi. That knowledge arises. Finally, what happens? Do you remain with that knowledge? I am Brahman and I continuously have that knowledge. No, that also fades away and Brahman alone remains. What does that knowledge do? I am Brahman knowledge. What does it do? It removes the ignorance that I am the body. That I am this person. I am a body-mind complex. That ignorance, that error is removed by the knowledge that I am Brahman. Then both ignorance and knowledge go away. That may sound counterintuitive because for us, if knowledge goes away, we think that we, I know or I do not know. But here, I know that I am Brahman. Where is this knowledge? This is also in the mind. All of Vedanta is in the mind, in the intellect. And the knowledge which arises is also in the mind. But it points to something beyond the mind. Once you get it, it's there. You remain as that. Then the mind also is re realized as nothing but Brahman. It's like you start with the pot. You realize it is tr through and through clay. And you're left with clay. But you have to start with the pot. You have to start with the knowledge, I am Brahman. When you realize you are Brahman, that knowledge also disappears. No, you're not left without knowledge. You're left as Brahman. Sri Ramakrishna put it in his very simple homely way. He said, if a thorn of ignorance is in your flesh, you take the thorn of knowledge and pick out the thorn of ignorance. But will you leave the thorn of knowledge in your flesh? No. When there's a thorn in your flesh, you take another thorn and pick it out, a needle. You pick it out. And then you don't keep the second thorn in your flesh. Both of them you throw away. Similarly, the thorn of ignorance is in us. That is to be removed by the thorn of Vedanta. It's a thorn. Ultimately, when ignorance is gone, when you realize you are Brahman, this also is not necessary. You go beyond Vedanta. Vedanta is not necessary. Vedanta is the only one which says, the only path, only religion which says, Yatra Veda, Veda Bhavanti. Its purpose is to take you to that realization where even the Vedas are no Vedas. They are not necessary for you. You go beyond that. All right. Then 138. 38 and 39 should be done together. The essence of the Vedantic method. Exactly what was being said is being summed up in a different way. Karanam vyatirekena Karanam vyatirekena Pumanado vilokait, Pumanado vilokait, Anvayena punastadhi, Anvayena punastadhi, Karye nityam prapashyati, Karye nityam prapashyati. Very beautiful. Simple point. Vedanta has two steps. Always remember this. This is a takeaway. Vedanta has two steps. First, you separate the reality from everything else by neti neti, not this, not this. Once you get a grasp on that reality, I am Brahman, Satchidananda, then all that you are discarded is realized as nothing but Brahman. You merge it back. I'm using the language. You merge it back into Brahman as it were. It's like by not this, not this, you realize all the parts are not, it's not the pot, it's not the jar, it's not this or not that, it is clay. Once you have realized it, then all the pots are also clay. The pot is not the reality, the clay is the reality. Once you realize the reality, then you realize the pot is also the clay. The clay is nothing other than the pot. The pot is nothing other than the clay. Similarly, here you say, I am not the body, I am not the mind, I am not the intellect, I am not the, the Anandamaya Kosha, the five Koshas. Annamaya Kosha, Pranamaya Kosha, Manomaya Kosha, Vijnanamaya Kosha, um, Anandamaya Kosha, the sheath of the food, the sheath of prana, the sheath of the mind, the sheath of the intellect, the sheath of bliss. I am not neti, neti, neti. I realize Satchidananda. I am the consciousness shining through, in and through all of these. Having realized that, that's step one. Step two, I realize that all of which shines in consciousness, the mind and the body and the universe, they also are that one existence consciousness place. And therefore, I am Brahman, which is everything. Sarvam idam brahmaiva ahamcha. Everything that I experience is Brahman. I am that Brahman. You are one with the universe. 
or rather the other way around, the universe is one in, with, with you. The universe is something that appears in you, it, it, is, it is imagined in you, it appears in you, it merges back in you, it is nothing other than you. So, karanam vyatirekena pumanadu vilokayet. Let a person first have an insight into the cause apart from the effect. First recognize the clay apart from the pot, name and form. First. Second, anvayena punastadhi kariye nityam prapashyati. Then, in the second stage, in all the pots, see clay alone. In the wave, first, with neti neti, you realize it is water. Then, the step one. Step two. Then in all waves, see the same water. Here, in, 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 in the ornaments, first ignore the ornament, see the gold in the ornament. Then see that the gold alone is necklace and bangle and ring and crown and tiara and what not. Then these are examples. You see Brahman in yourself, not body, not mind, the witness consciousness, existence consciousness. You see Brahman and then you realize mind, body, universe are all appearances in that existence consciousness place. They are nothing other than the Brahman which you are, that thou art. You are the reality of this universe. Then only Advaita is established, non-duality. Otherwise if you separate the cause from the effect, one Swami put it very nicely. He said, Jo Sarpa Rajuka Alag Manta hai, Uta Advaita Janta hi nahi hai. The one who thinks that snake and rope are two different things, who has not, it has not understood Advaita at all. The snake is not a different thing apart from the rope. There is no snake apart from the rope. It is the rope, you know the classic example of snake and rope. It is the rope which is misunderstood or misperceived as the snake. The rope is the reality of the snake. The snake is imagined in the rope. The snake appears in the rope. The snake merges, within quotes, merges back in the rope. The snake is nothing other than the rope. The universe is imagined in you, Brahman. The universe appears in you, here. Right now it's appearing. The universe merges back in you. Merges how? By knowledge. Realizing all of this is me. That is merging. And the universe is nothing but you. Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jiva Brahmai Vanapara. Brahman alone is real. The world is an appearance. And you are nothing but Brahman. This is the teaching. I'll end with verse 39, which we will take up next time again. It's a fine verse, one of the most quotable verses of the whole book, 139. <laughs> Karanatvam tato gachet avashishtam bhaved munihi avashishtam bhaved munihi What a beautiful verse. I'll tell you what it means. First, see the cause in the effect. Stage one. Second, let go of the effect, hold on to the cause. Third, the causality of the cause is lost thereby. And fourth, we'll say, you remember? First, see the clay in the pot. Second, let go of the pot because you see there is no thing as a pot. Third, the clay loses its causality. Fourth, you will say the clay alone remains, not a cause, not an effect. So what, what are we left with? Don't say clay. Is, we say, isness, Brahman. You know what he ends with? This is the, the beauty of Shankaracharya. You alone remain. <laughs> he says that the verse goes like this. First, see the cause in the effect. Second, let go of the effect. Let the cause alone remain. Third, the cause loses its causality thereby. And fourth, what remains is the sage. Muni. 
Muni means Mananat Muni, the one who thinks, the one who is understanding this. You, you alone remain. Don't say, oh, I have understood, Brahman alone remains. Now let's pack up and go home. No, you alone remain. The whole story is about you. It's not something else called Brahman. The mind plays tricks. Yes, my Brahman is alright, but I have got some other problems. Not your Brahman, it's not like your kidney or your lung. You are Brahman. You alone remain. What a beautiful verse. See the cause in the effect, then. See means how? Same eyes. If I tell you, look at the altar, you'll say yes. And say, look at the wood in the altar. Yes. Same thing you are seeing, but your understanding is deeper now. Now see that the Wood alone is real, the altar is not real. Let go of the altar, keep the wood. Do you mean that you have to smash the altar? No. Let the altar remain as it is. Let the world remain as it is. See Brahman in the world, isness in the world. Your awareness alone in which the world is shining. See that. Let the world remain. Now, let go of the world as a separate reality. Let go of the altar as a separate reality. Wood alone. If the altar is not a separate reality, then what is the wood a cause of? The wood is not a cause of anything. The wood did not produce an altar. It is wood alone which exists here. The wood remains losing its causality. Karanatvam tatogachet. The cause doesn't go, go away. The cause remains losing its causality. Here, here is the thing to remember. You asked about God. Ishwara and Nirguna Brahman. Saguna Brahman and Nirguna Brahman. In ultimate realization, it is God, the God you worshipped so long, the God you prayed to so long. In Advaitic realization, you don't give up God. No more than you would give up the clay. When you realize finally it is clay alone, have you given up anything? No. It's still there. You still retain the same God. Only the, the Ishwaratva of Ishwara is gone. That the God as the cause of this universe, that is gone. The reality which appeared as God, that remains fully. Not a bit of it is lost. Because we imagine ourselves to be little beings and this to be a limited world, we imagine Brahman to be God. When we realize we are Brahman, then we and God, we are one and the same. Same God remains as your innermost self. You realize God in depth then. God, your beloved Lord is not lost. That same Krishna remains, same Durga or Kali remains. You see in the Gospel of Ramakrishna, how smoothly Sri Ramakrishna crosses from Jnana to Bhakti and back to Jnana again. The ultimate, those who have realized, for them it's the same thing. They can sing and dance and with tears in their eyes in the, in the glories of God at one moment, next moment they can talk the highest Vedanta. For them they are talking about the same thing. There's no contradiction for them. So, Karanattam Tato Gachet, but the last part is so beautiful. Avashishtam, what remains, Bhavet Munihi, is the sage, remains alone shining in the splendor of his own existence. You alone remain. It's not a separate thing called Brahman. You are that Brahman which remains. I think that's a good note on which to end this class. I think we'll take... Probably one class, or if you have too many questions, then two classes. One class, one more class. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu